the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So look forward to this every Monday. We jo- we are joined by Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert is the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, books on Iran and China. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, a columnist for American Greatness and the Asia Times, Washington Times, all the important places. And it has a really interesting and fun, fun and interesting piece, scary in its own sense, too about uh, patriot- patriotism and movie-making over at Law & Liberty, uh, Make American Films Patriotic Again. We'll get into all of that with Brandon. First of all, happy Monday, Brandon. Hope you're doing well. Well, happy Monday. I'm doing great. This is always such a joy to be here Thanks. with your uh, audience and yourself. Thanks, buddy. Um, y- what are you working You You were mentioning just before the show started, you're playing. you're working on a piece right now having to do with Republicans and conservatives and the and the, and the and the next new thing or the last old right. thing. Yeah, t- tell us right. what what you're so working on here. It sounds uh, interesting. I'm I'm going to be submitting it tonight. It's called the Right's Dangerous Obsession with the Current Thing. Okay. And um, my argument is simple: that clearly, since the Reagan administration, uh, since Reagan left office, the conservative movement, which is this very wide tentpole you know, organization, uh, libertarians, corporate conservatives, establishment types, uh, uh, you know, uh, Christian conservatives, you name it. And now, of course, you know, our our friends in the MAGA movement, um, it's this large neoconservative as well, paleoconservative. It's this large group with all these different moving parts. We need a leader uh, and we need sort of an agreed upon set of principles to keep us all together. Uh, and ever since Reagan's presidency and ever since he left us, that has been fraying. And um, I think that we've been searching for a sort of unifying principle plus a strong leader uh, that really has eluded us. And with Trump, we had that for a little short period of time, but that ended up being in the long run more divisive. And, I, and, and one of the reasons that we embraced him was because he was new. And he, he was a breath of fresh air in the beginning, but quickly became somewhat of, you know, I think a, a problem for us. But this is part of a larger problem wherein the right is always looking for relevancy. We are kept out for the most part of pop culture, and we are always trying to connect with a larger group of people. It's why now we find ourselves turning uh, to, you know, this idiot Kanye West, uh, and all of those around him, and we didn't really do our due diligence. We didn't really see that this was a man who was deeply troubled, uh, plus the fact that he was clearly an anti-Semite and apparently a full-blown Nazi. Um, and uh, at least in his, his recent interviews, he's made that claim very clear. Um, and you, there's, a, there's a pretty damning... YouTube video that's been made that the left is running with, where one week, the week of October 7th, uh, responding to the Tucker Carlson interview Kanye did, uh, almost every notable conservative media figure was praising Kanye. Not this one. Then, Not this one. 
Not right, a, right. Not, not on this show. Right, yep. right, right, right. Yeah. Well, we're in the minority, <laughs> you and I. Um, but uh, almost every ma- major person yeah. on the media, on the conservative side, was praising him. And then seven days later, it's an incredible compilation. Seven days later, uh, the same people yeah. are condemning yeah. him. Yeah. Nothing really changed in the seven days other than conservatives had to do their due diligence yeah. and realize, oh, my God, I, this guy is horrible. I so agree um, with your perspective here. I, I so and, agree with yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have seen this again and again where we jump to the, the to the first bright new thing that looks like uh, they're going to rescue us or add a fresh voice. Uh, we do this in trying to capture the young vote. I I was early on the criticism of Tommy Lahren before she blew oh, herself God. up on abortion. I have to tell you, and and I might be I might be too conservative on this point, but I have been warning people about Tulsi Gabbard um, because there seems to be that same thing going. Right. And I have to tell you, she's she's doing better and better. But I still think we need to be a little slower to jump for joy. I just well, think yeah. we need to. You know, there's, one, there's a difference between recognizing, and I knew Tulsi personally. She was the next office over from us. We did a lot of work with her um, on the, when I worked on the Hill. So, and I know her father, Mike. And so, you know, personally, they're really solid people. She's a patriot. I don't doubt that. But I've always told, and I said this to her and her staff before, you know, she's a great lady. I think she's brilliant. I, I love her. But ultimately, I recognize that there are points of divergence. And so I will gladly walk with her where we agree. But I don't believe she's the second coming. You know, I don't believe she's Ronald Reagan, who's leaving the Democratic Party and becoming one of us. She's still very much a leftist on some key issues. And so I don't jump with joy at the newest thing. I do my due diligence. And I think there's a there's a quote, if I may. I, my wife sent it to me this morning, and she sends me these daily Bible verses trying to save my soul, which may be a losing cause. I don't know. But she, there's a quote from Proverbs and says, better a patient man than a warrior, a man who controls his temper than one who takes the city. And I think conservatives, especially because we do represent the Christian opinion, I think, in this country mostly, I think conservatives should really take that to heart and recognize that just because somebody suddenly is saying a couple of things we happen to agree with, that doesn't mean that that person is one of us or that that person is going to be overall good for the movement. And maybe we should take a step back and maybe be more listen, willing to listen to the, some of the older voices in our group uh, who may not be flashy and young or new, but maybe they've, they've been saying the right things all along and we should tip our hat to them. Uh, maybe. Yes, maybe. Um, you not know, in every case, obviously, because you know there's problems with that as well. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we seem to want to do that on our side much more so than the left does. Yes, I, I I think that's right too, Brandon. I just I just I I I don't understand. I have to tell you, I don't understand why we can't see what is so clearly obvious, um, either in personal uh, personal candidacies or people who support those candidacies. Mike Pompeo has been doing yeoman's great conservative work and speeches over the last couple of years, and especially over the last few weeks. I don't want him running for president. You know, he would do a better right. service. He would my, someone like Mike Pompeo, who's been doing great work, would be a 
you know, someone who would be better if he would just, you know, go and endorse someone like DeSantis. You know, this needs to be a this is such an obvious thing. It bewilders me how people don't see right. it. Right. And, you know, I wrote that article about two weeks ago, which, of course, I, Jonah Goldberg is now ripping off in his dispatch thing. And I, I cringe when I see that because I don't have much in common with Jonah Goldberg. Uh, but but, um, you know, I, I really do think that we need to take a step back and recognize that some candidates, while they may be representative of us better uh, than others, they don't stand a chance at winning. Or if they did run, it would just serve to divide the party. And so in the case of uh, Mike Pence or uh, Mike Pompeo, I love Pompeo, um, but I just don't know if he really can, can win a Republican nomination unless he was running unimposed. Um, and if it comes down to a, a DeSantis or a Trump, we need all hands to get behind DeSantis now um, to hopefully politely get Trump to stand down. But if Trump doesn't stand head to head matchup uh, and to have the party rally behind really the future, which is DeSantis and not the past, which is Trump. Um, but, but uh, you know, w- this whole obsession with celebrity, this is something that the left used to do. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. It's great if we can get some celebrities to come on board, but we shouldn't say, oh, you're a celebrity. Let me glom onto you now right. without doing my due diligence. And that's what we tend to oh, do. Oh, yeah, no, we and used it, to make fun of them when they testified in front of Congress, yeah. first on yeah. nuclear war, then yeah. on energy, uh, you know, then on the environment and yeah. global warming. Yeah, that ain't us. No, but it's becoming us because we're so desperate for accolades in the in the pop cultural space. We're never going to get accolades no matter what we do. So we might as well figure out what is it that we value? What is it we believe in? Where can we win? There may be points of agreement, by the way, with the left on certain things, um, believe it or not. I actually think on certain economic issues, we might be able to come to a, a sort of a, a detente with them on, and we should be able to address that. That doesn't mean we become leftists, though. That doesn't mean that we give up our beliefs and our values, because it's never the left that abandons their beliefs, and it's never the left that seems to come screaming, welcoming, and elevating the newcomer, right former right-winger, into their midst, they sort of know their place. It's only the right that seems to elevate these newcomers who have a lot of followers without recognizing that that could actually be a loaded, uh, you know, a loaded poison pill type situation. Well, speaking of pop culture, you have a piece uh, on movies over at Law and Liberty, and I want to talk to you about that when we come back. So let's do that. I am Seth Liebson. He is Brandon Weikert, and when we come back, we'll talk about his new piece just up at Law and Liberty. Yes, December 2nd, just up. Make America Films Patriotic Again. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He spells his last name W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T. Sometimes people will ask uh, ask me how, uh, how to spell your name, Brandon, or my name for that matter. <clears throat> but um, you have a new piece up over at Law and Liberty, and this is kind of interesting. I was talking to, um, to, to a friend of mine uh, yesterday who just read a book, I guess, about, about – uh, movies and culture. Your piece is Make American Films Patriotic Again. Something explains the um, uh, Top Gun Maverick success. You want to take us through this? In the article, um, it was an unapologetic ode 
to America. I mean, is it cheesy? Yeah. Is it over the top? Yeah. But that's America. That's always been until probably the 1960s what we were. And that's what made us so great. And, uh, you know, even as I said, uh, you know, in the piece, even the 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 race relations in the movie, it's a multi-ethnic cast or a multicultural cast. And they're all very respectful toward one another. No one's looking for signs of hidden oppression. Uh, you know, no one's raging against the dreaded patriarchy. Um, it's they're all surviving and thriving in this very military hierarchical uh, you know, society or system, but they're all doing well. And, and then it's, they're positive and they're upbeat and they want to do the right thing. And, and I think that that resonated with audiences because let's face it, that's the America that we know that we grew up in. And by the way, outside of the, the Washington DC, maybe New York crowd, uh, it's, it's, you know, the elites, it's still the America that we live in. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it reflected a cultural confidence and an ethos um, that may not be alive and well in our elite power structures anymore or in our corporate boardrooms, uh, but is still very much uh, dominant everywhere else. Uh, and in the article, I, I make the case, you know, I respond to our friend Michael Anton, who wrote when the movie came out several months ago, his concern was that that was not the start of a of a resurgent trend of pro-American films, but that it was merely the end of an era, uh, of, a, of a previously great era of filmmaking. And maybe he's right, but I, I hope that he's wrong. And, and, and what I said in the, in the piece at Law and Liberty, uh, I, I, I warned that you know, if Anton is correct, there is some indication that these very patriotic, positive, uh, you know, uh, proud even, Films are going to be made. It's just unfortunate they're not going to be made in the United States. They'll be made in China, and they will not feature the U.S. Navy as the heroes, which, of course, our military, for the most part, is. Uh, it will feature the, the People's Liberation Army as the hero, and the villains will always be the United States and our allies, as is the uh, you know case of these wolf warrior films that are so popular and have been since, what, 2015 in China. Uh, and so um, clearly... The highest grossing film of 2022 is Maverick. So whether Hollywood wants to admit it or not, whether they want to replicate that or not, they should just from a cynical business view. Uh, that's the way to go, those kinds of movies. And if they're not going to make it, don't worry. The Chinese are going to make it about their country. And that's going to resonate because those Wolf Warrior films in particular are some of the most popular in the world today. And with China's mass media growth, they can now reach billions of people uh, in ways that used to only be Hollywood could. And so my recommendation to Hollywood is please replicate more of this success of Maverick so we don't lose that all-important cultural appeal to the rest of the world, to China, who's going to replicate the, the same kind of storytelling that, that Maverick did, only with China as the hero and America or Maverick as the villain. And, and this is really part and parcel of the problem that I worry about. There is a country that is making patriotic movies uh, about how, uh, how how great they are and has no hesitation, has no self-enforced moral squint, has no self-degradation. And that's uh, that that is China. I mean, they they yeah. do, they they are they have a lot of movies 
uh, that they are making, not only are they sometimes dictating what we can put in ours, but they're, they're, they just don't question themselves. Patriotism is alive and well in a country that's right. against us, uh, and we have become a country where patriotism right. is uh, seemingly some days on life support. Right. And even as I said in the article, you know, China is a country that can throw you in prison without a real trial, can harvest your organs if you wrote a negative thing about the leadership of China, even on an unreadable blog, you might have written it, um, and can completely destroy your life overnight if you're a Chinese citizen. And yet a majority of the Chinese people still love their country still want their country to be number one, regardless of whether Xi Jinping is in power or if they're communist or not. Whereas in the United States, there's been a marked uptick in those who believe we are likelier to be in a civil war over the next decade. That's 40 percent. Or than we are to return Americans to the moon. Half the country's voters, our young people especially, are conditioned by our media, our educational system, and even politicians to loathe America's founding and our founders as little more than a bunch of angry, tax-avoiding white men who wanted to keep slaves rather than men who believed rebellion to tyrants was obedience to God. Whereas in China, they love their country, even when their country is government is horrible yeah and so this is a problem yeah it's a big problem yeah and it's a funny thing when you think about it because you know for people of a certain age uh i don't know over 45 maybe over 50 they will remember that you know throughout the the 1980s the heyday of of people who are over 50 watching movies throughout the 80s you know Anything that had to do with foreign affairs or international relations, these were all pro-American movies with anti-Soviet, anti-communist messages in them. By the way, so too were our TV shows. That's right. That's right. Well, even as recently as 2006, the Tom Cruise, Meryl Streep, Robert Redford movie, Lions and Lambs, or Lions to Lambs, which was an anti-war screed. I actually thought it wasn't a bad film. But it was very anti-war, very almost anti-American, very cynical about America's role in the world. That movie was a flop. Fifteen years later, though, those movies are still being made, even though they don't make money, whereas Maverick made bundles of money. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get those movies made today. And by the way, up until even, what was it, 2014, the last season of 24 came out. Yeah. 24 was a... Very patriotic yeah. uh, series, yeah. but today such series are not made. It's That's always right. these sort of cynical, negative, even yep. though nobody watches them. Yep. So this is a big problem. It's a cultural problem, and it leads to a very negative image being produced of the United States by Americans. And Chinese, and Chinese who That's are funding right. so and much of this. Funding it. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. And by yep. the way, putting their editing finger into it. Yes, of course. And by the way... Uh, what was it? One, I don't remember which company now, but one of the large Chinese companies that initially was That's bankrolling right. part of Maverick, That's they right. pulled out. That's right. Because That's Tom right. Cruise refused to remove the Taiwanese flag right. from the back of his jacket. Right. Good Heaven for, for him, fend. by the way. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. Um, he he comes at this with a slightly different point of view than most actors because he, you know, <laughs> I don't want to get into the whole thing with Scientology, but let's just say this for them. They understand the importance of religious freedom. Let me they just, do. We'll leave they it at do. that as I go to... But that doesn't mean I'm going to embrace uh, Tom Cruise as my next presidential candidate Ex- in the Well Party. put. <laughs> exactly. Well put. Well put. Um, let me talk to you about an anniversary, a 40th uh, year anniversary oh, when yeah. we come right back. Uh, Brandon Weikert and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Amongst his many books is Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, Biohack. You were, is it, is it telling, uh, talking out of school, Brandon, to say you were at a recent confab with a great publisher, Encounter Books? Well, it's my new publisher. I'm, you're welcome to tell people. Yeah, they, um, they had a beautiful gala. They do it every Christmas. And uh, I've been to one before with, uh, with uh, actually Chris Buskirk and some of the American Greatness people about three years ago. But now that Biohack, my third book, is being published by um, Encounter, Roger Kimball asked, uh, you know, invited my wife and I to come out. And we, we made a little vacation out of it and uh, stayed at the Fairmont uh, Hotel and uh, had a real nice two days and got to spend time with uh, some of our friends from Claremont and, uh, you know, people like Steve Hayward, who uh, proceeded to explain to my wife that he can't read my stuff because it scares the bejesus out of him. Oh, really? Did he Uh, say that? (laughs) (laughs) We talked about our shared love of Sanibel Island. And, no, it was a lovely time, and I really got to uh, uh, see a lot of notables in the conservative movement. And, unfortunately, though, I got to kind of see how divided our movement is over some of these issues like, um, you know, that we've been talking about in that first segment of the show today about, you know, becoming a little too infatuated yeah. with the, you know, that's not everyone there, and I'm not naming names. No, of course. Who said that. But, but no, and it was, a, it was just a great time, though, to see sort of where everything was. We honored Scott Atlas for his commitment to truth. Um, and, um, you know, it's just really sad when you think about there is a guy like Scott Atlas who's, you know, one of the great doctors of America who was just completely crapped on by uh, his colleagues. I've never cases. seen anything like it. The entire faculty of Stanford rose up in a resolution to the same thing to Jay, uh, to Jay, Jay but, uh, yeah. yeah, I've never seen yeah, anything so like met, it. I mean, not yeah. even during the, the McCarthy years. Do I remember no, faculty insane. standing and up all and they doing were that. saying, yeah. and all they were saying is, Hey, look, we think you're going too far. By the way, they were That's right. They and were the saying. denouncers were wrong. Yes, they were. And, you know, and like I told Scott when we were talking, he was, he was going to read my book, Biohack. Um, he was, he was saying, I told him, I said, look, initially, my concern, I still, I know this, this is the fact, that it came from a lab in China, this disease did. So the first 15 to, to, days to a month, I was saying we probably need to do social distancing. We probably need to do some kind of lockdown because I thought, you know, it was a bioweapon. We didn't know anything about it. And I said, but, you know, I think DeSantis showed us the way that after even the first 15 days, remember 15 days to flatten the curve, right. after the first 15 days, it was very clear, A, the lockdowns weren't working, right. and B, probably weren't necessary. Right. And even if you were somewhat sympathetic as I was to the lockdowns at the beginning, maintaining them just for the sake of maintaining them Yeah, proving yourself, yeah, truth, yeah, proving who the was the power and who was going to be yeah. ostracized and who was not, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. and so you know that, and it, it just was real eye-opening, and to hear him, per- and of course my wife, you know, works in medicine, so the two of them hit it off, and they were really kind of speaking the same language, and so hearing, how, you know, what the, their experiences were working in the medical field during the pandemic, just mortifying. It was just, it's just mortifying to think that we really broke our country. A, I think, uh, in service to, we were manipulated by the Chinese, and B. We did it, and our elite did it, largely because they wanted to get rid of Trump. And the only way they could get rid of Trump was by collapsing the economy. And the only way they could do that was by doing this extreme reaction to an unknown pathogen. 
Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and 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 I have to tell you, you know, I think he walked into a little bit of it himself. You know, oh my God, he did. He couldn't have he fired did. Anthony Fauci, but he didn't have to name him the number one guy. He didn't maybe no, have the power but, to but, fire Deborah Burks, but he didn't have to make her the number right, one but person. But even even in the beginning, it could have been forgiven. Yeah. At but midway through, though, it should have been. You know, he did bring in Atlas, but then he didn't trust Atlas fully. Right. He had this crazy approach where he was going to be getting multiple inputs. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and what it did was it made him look indecisive. Yeah, no, it looked, he thought he could do a team of rivals, and he just wasn't. But you can't do that with a pathogen. No. You can do that with a civil war. <laughs> yeah. You can't do that with a biological crisis where parents and yeah. toddlers are going, yeah. what do you want us to do? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly right. Uh, Fuad Ajami said a 15-year-old with a Mercedes changed more of the world than most elected and dictatorial yeah. officials. Let's talk about that when we come right yeah. back. I know you know what I'm talking about. For the rest of the audience, I'm talking about Beirut. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert is our guest, publisher of the Weikert Report, columnist for Asia Times, Washington Times, America Greatness, other publications, regular here every Monday. Brandon, um, how to say this? Uh, well, I guess there's been some writing, not enough, but some writing here and there about the 40th anniversary or at least the commemoration of the 40th year of the advent of a terrorist organization called Hezbollah. Yeah. Right before the break, I mentioned um, a few people have put their finger on a different calling uh, on their on different calling cards. Fuad Ajami put it as uh, to the 15 year old who drove his Mercedes into a Marine barracks in Beirut um, as 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 their first significant act on the world stage. I remember back when we were focusing in the early 2000s on. Um, Al Qaeda. Uh, I'm trying to remember one of the. Ch I don't remember who the chairman of the Joint Chiefs was at the time. I'll think of it in a minute. You may recall, but I remember he said, "Let's also not take our eye off Hezbollah, which is the uh, is the A team of terrorism." I don't think people think about Hezbollah at all anymore, but they should. No, they should. They should, and and it's it's going to be Hezbollah that brings us into World War Three. When my book comes out in the spring of 2023, The Shadow War, we pushed it back to the spring. But when it comes out, you are going to see entire chapters dedicated to just what precisely um, Hezbollah has been up to from their little perch in, in Lebanon, building precision-guided munitions that are meant to target the port of Haifa in Israel, that are meant to uh, destroy parts of Israel in order to destroy their economy to then trigger another intifada. Um, there is, as I talk about in the book, uh, a real suspicion that the Beirut blast of, of August 2020 that killed, I think, what, 4,000 people um, or injured 4,000 people. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it was a the same kind of blast from a small nuclear weapon was the kind of blast that was experienced in uh, the port of Beirut, right. it is believed that that was triggered by either a targeted strike by Israel or an ally of the United States or possibly the United States itself, uh, or that it was a workplace accident, uh, that, that it was a Hezbollah munitions factory that was being used to move these parts, these components, rather, like oxygen, which is a fuel used for precision-guided munitions, was being used to transfer those munitions into Lebanon 
for Hezbollah to use to target Israel to start another world war. Um, and Hezbollah is funded by and acting in accordance to the wishes of the Iranian regime. So we can talk endlessly about how Iran disbanded their morality police, yeah. but in fact, even the State Department today admitted they did not right. get rid of the morality police. They basically just changed the name and are basically relying now on electronic surveillance. But we can they celebrate that in Washington, D.C. and in the international community, but they ignore the fact that the Iranian regime has built the world's most sophisticated, deadliest terrorist uh, organization, whose entire raison d'etre is not just about destroying our friends in Israel, it is about removing American power from the greater Middle East, also, by the way, expanding Iranian power not only into that greater Middle East, but also into Latin America, and it's also, by the way, about bringing ostensibly Russian and Chinese power into the greater Middle East. Yeah, it's it's worth pointing threat. out that some of their most spectacular attacks, and not not spectacular in a positive sense, but their most uh, their most media uh, driven, um, media tented. Uh, attacks were actually against Americans, uh, whether it was That's the 241 right. Marines, whether it was the Kobar Towers. What, do you remember Flight 847 and Bobby That's Stetham? Right. Um, That's right. No, no more American do you get than Bobby Stetham. You know, it's a um, it's it, it is a menace on the world stage. And while I, explain, go. explain why the New York Times was so quick. I mean, they've updated their story online, but why were they so quick to praise Iran for disbanding its morality police when none of the evidence there shows that that's actually what happened. Because this is part of the left's hard-drive approach to treating, and I track this mentality in the book, every going all the way back to Carter in 1979. Carter was the one who initially encouraged, or rather assented, to Khomeini's request to return to Iran in the middle of the revolution. Mm -hmm. um, Carter told his aides he believed, as did, this is much to her detriment, uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, but Carter believed he could do business with the Islamists of Iran's revolutionary movement in the same way that he was doing business with the Islamists of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, that as a Southern Baptist like he was, Carter, that he had more in common with the Grand Ayatollah <laughs> Khomeini God, than he did with the autocratic Shah. People thought and this way. People thought this, this way. They still do. They yeah. still do. Yeah. Um, and this was carried over through successive Democratic Party administrations all the way through to Biden, even though Biden is now his State Department saying, well, actually, they didn't in Iran disband the morality police. The fact is the ideologues who actually drive the Democratic Party, who shape policies when Democrats are in power, those people, particularly at the New York Times and the editorial section, they very much want to deal with Iran. Yeah. They will do whatever it takes. It's peace in our time. These are, they make Neville Chamberlain look like a hawk. Because ultimately, by the way, Neville Chamberlain was merely trying to buy time for Britain to, yeah. to kind of replenish herself. Mm. Mm -hmm. The Democrats, they don't even care about that. They just want to surrender, 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 because they believe America, our power is ill-gotten and that it, we need to be cut down to size. And, um, and, and so that's why you have these fawning editorials. What the Iranians did with the morality police is purely superficial. Right. And it's not even actually what they did.
but they're going to praise it anyway at the New York Times. Go figure. Well, you know, I uh, I, I spoke earlier in the show on the media. Um, I don't know if you saw this debate uh, that took place in Canada about a month ago. They're called Monk Debates, M-U-N-K. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really good on media bias. It was uh, Michelle Goldberg from the New York Times. Yeah. And Malcolm Gladwell from everywhere on one side versus uh, Douglas Murray and uh, Matt Taibbi. And and I got to tell you, you know, at the end of the day, the only thing you could really uh, say about the Gladwell Goldberg side that was defending the mainstream media is um, the best thing they could say for themselves, which was um, when they're wrong, sometimes they admit it. Uh, but right. the truth is, the New York Times has a long history of uh, of bearing bad news about dictatorships, whether it was the Soviet Union and Durante, whether it was the uh, Schultzberger family uh, itself with regard to the Holocaust, whether it was the depredations of uh, the re- the Hussein regime back when he was stalking Iraq. And now again, here we have it all over again happening well, in real time the, with the, Iran. And the, and the key thing here, Seth, is that whereas the right... No, understandably makes deals with autocrats who happen to share American interests. The left consistently upholds autocrats and totalitarian regimes yeah. Yeah. who do not share American interests. That's right. We are in the process of empowering Venezuela. Yeah. We are in the pro- I mean, this is insanity. Um, you know, it's utterly, it's, it's, it's manic and mad. And the only reason I can get back to is on some level, it's because the left truly believes America doesn't deserve to exist in its present form, that it must be restrained and hemmed in at all costs because it is somehow a threat. Remember what was his name? Harold Coe, Obama's undersecretary. Yes, yes, of, yes, that's remember right. Remember how he said that his whole theory was America has to be hemmed in by international law because we are the world's greatest Yes, he wanted to import other constitutions to amend ours, if if I'm thinking of the right guy. You are. It's not just a radical theory anymore on the left. That is mainstream. And many of those people from the Obama administration who were mid-tier level political appointees are now in the Biden administration, top-tier level appointees, who are shaping policy. So this is a, a just a grotesque example, another one, of the left carrying water, not just for autocrats and human rights violators, but for those regimes that have nothing in common with us. And when given the chance, if given the chance, will stab us in the back or immediately in the front. They don't care as long as they make America bleed. And do the same to all the people the left in America claims to represent from the LGBT yep. community to women's uh, and feminist They're rights. not throwing conservatives, right. uh, clerics That's off right. the rooftops. That's, right. That's exactly That's right. right. Brandon Weikert, always a, pre- always a pleasure, always a privilege to have you. Thank you, sir. God bless. You betcha. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll have a closing thought. Portions of the show are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi, where they have a portfolio not correlated to the stock market. Well, you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's an investment in a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm, you can check why refi 
out by going to investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Going back to the beginning of what I was talking about with Brandon, I don't want to be too cynical about conservatives arising on the scene. I just want us to do um, our due diligence with them uh, when they do appear. Uh, Hard to improve on a line Ronald Reagan used to use, which was trust but verify. Um, I I think we, we, we can be mature enough to say prove it to us. A lot of us got on the Trump bandwagon in 2015 and 2016 when we started to see who his advisors were and who the kinds of people who were around him were vouching for him and the policies that they were promoting and campaigning on and running on. He was new to the scene for the Republican Party, but he proved himself. I'm Seth Liebson. Trust but verify. See you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.